not in a rush, but slowly. Um, talking to someone Thursday, and he's, I was asking about something, and um, he said, oh yeah, we're going to buy, but he said that we're going by very fast. And so I'm trying not to go by very fast, and today I'm going to backtrack just a little bit, but come to Matthew chapter uh, 10. Matthew chapter 10. We'll be in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew chapter 10. I'll uh, recognize some visitors uh, later on in the morning service, but we have some uh, young married couple visiting from South Dakota. And they are on their honeymoon. His dad, the pastor of Mountain View Baptist, uh, Brother First, Brother First is the son of Tom First, whom I think you folks know. Tom First is friends of ours, and he's been coming to wife, he and his wife, for several winters, for three or four months, and um, uh, so uh, health prevents them from doing that now. It is on. So uh, we're glad you come from South Dakota. Anybody who's a friend of uh, your grandpa is a friend of ours. But you're, you're too young. <laughs> Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, the last time, was the calling of the 12 disciples. And uh, come to Luke now, after I just referred to, come to Luke chapter 6. Some insight from Luke about how this came about. It was a big decision to find men to represent him after he leaves the world. And so Jesus did one thing before he made important decisions in picking men to follow him and carry out his work after he goes to heaven. Let's pray to the, uh, this morning as we start. Thank you, Lord, for being with us and for your minister word. We ask your Father to give us a blessing in this class and the other class that's going on. We thank you, Father, for your son. Help us, Lord, to get a blessing from the word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 is Luke's account of him, the Lord, calling his disciples. Luke 6, verse number 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto his disciples, and one of them, he and out of and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. So a lot, of, a lot of disciples follow Jesus. A disciple is someone who tagged along in a group, in a, in a crowd. But uh, a disciple is not the disciples that became apostles, sent ones. So a lot of people follow Jesus for many reasons. Some for food, some for healing, some for uh, personal things. But not all of them were really devoted or faithful or sincere or the spiritual interest was there. So they had the reason of following Christ. And so from that group and... Uh, he kind of separated them and from he, he chose 12 now some were acquaintances from his hometown area and uh, so you want to know that before he made this big decision uh, of these men who would carry out his ministry and his mission he spent all night in prayer Luke says all night in prayer well that would make sense wouldn't it separate yourself from the business of the days separate yourself from even your close friends and your apostles or um, your disciples Get away from people and uh, just 
just focus, clear your mind, and then through that, speak to God so he speaks to you, and you can make decisions. And so after that, a prayer, all night solo prayer meeting, what it was. Back in the old days, people would have prayer meetings, all night prayer meetings for revival, and they would pray for all night, sometimes all week preceding a meeting, and people would have cottage prayer meetings, a uh, good thing to do because we were asking God to empower the speaker, empower the services, and help them to see what God has for them. And so uh, those would be all night cottage prayer meetings, groups of people. Jesus, although, uh, did this by himself. And here's what uh, Spurgeon, the great Charles Spurgeon, said in the 19th century. A lot of people quote Spurgeon because he had so much to say, and a lot of the things that he wrote and said and preached uh, was recorded in print form, of course, and uh, they're still good for today because he was such a spiritual man. And there were a couple of things about theology that you might disagree with, but you cannot disagree with the fact that he was a spiritual man. And so he said, solitary prayer is the kind of praying that really gets through to God. And the basis of that being Matthew 6, where Jesus talked about when you pray, go into your closet and you pray. Be not as the hypocrites are, pray on the street corner just for attention. Not that anybody who prays in public is in it for attention, but that the fact is when you pray silently or prayer, prayer, you pray by yourself um, individually, uh, like that, uh, it, it's kind of freeing, it's kind of being really honest. When you pray publicly, you can't pray for everything that you might want to pray about that's on your heart. You have to pray a little bit considerately for the people that you're praying, not praying to, but people that hear you praying. You have to be careful about that. When you pray privately, it's even a thing. And he spent all night in prayer in response to the pressures of the crowds and the changing situations of people. Uh, he secluded himself uh, for this time for special praying. And often in life, in life, we have to have those times too. And so for this particular need, he went out into the mountain to pray, away from the people, uninterrupted. And so that's the pattern that he did many times. And so before choosing the 12, he would become uh, alone with his father, which is always a good thing. A problem that people have in America is we're so busy, we don't have time to be alone with God. We um, gotta do this, gotta do that. And a lot of things have to be done, that's for sure. You can't ignore responsibilities. But people are so busy, uh, they have time for everything under the sun. But they don't have time for solitary prayer, uninterrupted prayer. It just happens like that in the American lifestyle. And so um, we have to be careful not to go overboard being so busy that we forget the, the quiet closet times of praying. That's right. So that is a very important aspect of the Christian life. And so the gravity of the choices he would make, uh, the caravan's work, would require an entire night of praying. Now, who can do that? Who can pray a whole night? Who can pray for five minutes? Who can pray for ten without getting distracted? Again, Spurgeon says, uh, how, how dare people come into the presence of a king and swat at flies? Well, what does that mean? Well, that means when you're before the king, you're at your best, and you focus on the king, because you are permitted to be in his presence. And you don't be swatting your flies or scratching your head or picking your nose, bringing your ear out of wax. You don't do those kind of things. Check your shoelaces. No, you have to give attention to the one you're standing before. And so that's how he expressed Give attention when you pray to God alone. And he also said this, one not alone in prayer might make us new men, change from poverty of soul to spiritual wealth 
from trembling to triumphing. That's a good quote that he gives. I like the quote from Mr. Spurgeon because he was such a quotable man with a lot of deep spirituality. And so they would care on what he's going to do, and they would have to be the right kind of people. Of course, there's Jews in the mix. A question, why did he pick Jews in the mix if he knew all things about what Jews should become? Well, that's another day to talk about that. But he did spend time to pray. Uh, the calling of Matthew, let's back up a little bit to Mark chapter 2. The calling of Matthew by the Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 2. I want to spend some time on the Mark. <coughs> Mark chapter 2, verse number 13. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he said, No. <laughs> and he said unto him, Follow me. And he said, uh, I got some stuff I gotta do first. Well, follow me, and he arose and followed him. And so here's the calling of Matthew to follow Jesus to be eventually an apostle. And the interesting thing about this calling of Matthew is that he's at work. He's sitting at the receipt of custom, he's doing his business for Rome, he's collecting taxes, and he's also talking some money too. And so he's doing this, he's at work. Uh, Sitting at the receipt of custom. Now, Matthew and other tax collectors were very much looked down upon by the general population of Jews because they were like traitors. They were like uh, men who betrayed uh, their Hebrew heritage and they were working for a foreign government that was over them. And uh, they didn't like that. Traitors against their own people. Uh, collected taxes, paid for their own, but they also charged extra and they pocketed the extra. They overcharged. And when that took place, they had no recourse. There was no complaint department like in the department store in the old days. Remember the old days when there's a complaint department store? You go to the complaint department and you tell your grievances and they try to resolve that. No such a thing there for them. They just had to pay up or else. He had all power to say, okay, this on this address over here, 45639 Kahano Circle, they did not pay the taxes and they're belligerent. Put a big note right there, put an X over here. And you're in big trouble with the law, with the government, if you ever did that. And so they're over a barrel. They have to do what the tax collector said, you owe, you owe this much for this quarter. Not. They said not because that's what we would say, not. That not. We don't owe that, prove it. We're here, no, that's not right. That's not my official stamp on that. No, that's not, that's not my initial. No, you owe this much. That's not fair. Don't cry to me about not being fair. This is what, this is what my record says, that you owe this much. And you know, there's corruption there. Uh, happens all the time, doesn't it? Corruption, overcharging. And uh, Levi uh, is another name for him, besides being called Matthew. Uh, he overcharged people, and he was really, really despised by the regular people that had to pay up the taxes. And yet, the Lord's gonna call him to be an apostle. How does that work out? I'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, Mark 2.15. And it came to pass, after it says in verse 14, he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at me in his house, well, it doesn't say, it appears to say that it happened the same day. He arose and followed him, and right away he went to his house. 
it appears to say that, but remember that Mark writes with such speed and such uh, enthusiasm that he just jumps here and there, and there's a time difference that is not recorded, it's not important. And uh, the thing that is important that he went to Matthew's house at some point, maybe a week or two, who knows when. That's not the important part of this account. It came to pass that as Jesus said to meet in his house. So Jesus goes to Matthew's house and he's having a meal. But wait, there's more to the story. He's not just having a meal at Matthew's house with Matthew and his family. He's having a meal at Matthew's house with a bunch of other people. How do we know? Well, look at verse 15. Many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. Well, from verse 15, you find out there's a whole bunch of people that came to Matthew's house. Well, how big was Matthew's house? Some come there to say that this was a rented space, uh, like a, a banquet hall. Well, it says it's his house. So apparently his house is not a two-bedroom house, as we would understand. It's not a little studio. His house is big. He's, he's got property. Well, how does he have a big house? on his tax collector's government employee salary. Well, you owe this much. Not, yes you do, pay up or else. Can you see why he was despised and tax collectors were despised by the people? This guy's got money. And I say that because he's got a big house. <laughs> he's got a big house. You ever drive by Kahala, Kahala uh, and Diamond Head, Hawaii car like that? Uh, you see a lot of big homes there. Those are not cheap homes. Those that go up Loma Ridge, Hawaii Loma Ridge up there and all those other places, they're exclusive because of the view. costs a lot of money. Now, you have to have a lot of money to afford to buy a house like that. Must be a professional, must, I mean, your wife must be a professional too, and you must have the means to buy those big properties. He had a big property because of the people that were there under one roof. And so, um, yeah, tax collector collected taxes, and he also pocketed the extra that he demanded people pay up. They could not complain about that. And so, um, there you go. Came back at a certain time. He's having a meal, and he invites Christ to come to this meal. And you find here a bunch of other people with him, fellow tax collectors, and also some sinners that came along to this invitation. They didn't just show up; they came by invitation. Well, Jesus came, and these people came by invitation as well. Well, this is a kind of strange thing uh, that Jesus would be among sinners like that. Uh, Luke chapter 5, uh, verse number 27. Here's something else I'd like you to see. Luke 5, and verse 27. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the seat of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all rose up and followed him. Now in verse 28, it tells us about Levi, who was soon in verse 29, it's recorded that he made a great feast in his own house. He left everything. That means he left, he left his occupation, he left his business, he left his, his employment to follow Jesus. He left all, he left all. That's quite a statement right there. For a man who was, was very wealthy and prospering from his, from his employment, he left everything that he had to follow Christ. Now, there's a real strong statement here about uh, the missionary call, the call to the ministry. There's a strong statement here about being called by God to do something for him and leaving everything else behind. And so here you have this verse that says he rose up, he, he heard him, he obeyed him, 
and he followed him. He left all. He left everything. And so he resigned his secular job and entered the ministry full time. Now, uh, I said that as if it happened so quickly, and it seems to have happened so quickly. But in modern uses of this and modern times, when someone is called to the ministry, it doesn't happen so fast. There's counsel, there's, there's getting advice from the home church pastor, and there's talking and discussing and you know, prayer and things like that. There's education, there's schooling for the ministry, preparing for that. And if it's a missionary, there's a deputation trail, there's a reasonable support. And then you go through a period after maybe three years or four years, maybe five years. And so a lot of preparation involved into full-time ministry. And it doesn't happen so fast. And sometimes people, um, uh, they begin into the ministry, but then they kind of lose the emphasis and lose the enthusiasm for the ministry because things are not so glorious as they might appear at the beginning. But here Matthew just gets up and goes, it appears, and he just follows him and he's dedicated. And it takes a lot of dedication to be in the ministry full time. It takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of expenses, it takes a lot of uh, things to happen for that ministry to continue and go on. And so here he left all, quite a commitment. Uh, outside of the Bible said, you're foolish to leave your lucrative position and go to follow this man, or this carpenter's son. Are you, are you kidding me? Why are you doing this? This doesn't make any sense to you. And oftentimes in our lives, people say that about people who feel like they're called to preach or called to be uh, a missionary. People say, wait a minute, you were saved to be the next owner of this business. Are you going to give that up for what? Africa? Plus, Africa always comes up when it comes to being a missionary to Africa. And then it's the darkest Africa. Well, it could be Africa or not some other country, some island or some place. And uh, sometimes people almost um, make fun or mock or really look at that with a scornful attitude. You know, you really got to think this through because that doesn't make any sense to leave everything to go to this one place. Well, sometimes it is foolish for people to get up and go without biblical counsel or without uh, preparation and just take up because they are emotional about things. So you got to be careful about some things. But when someone is clear that God wants them to go because he has called them to follow him, uh, there is this eventually leaving all. Leaving all. It's difficult for parents. But being in the will of God is the best thing. Whatever it is. Alright. Um, Matthew 10. Matthew 10. Along that line about leaving all, Matthew chapter 10 has a statement about that by the Lord. Matthew 10. Verse number 34. There's another aspect I may have mentioned somewhere about three weeks ago. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I come not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes should be they uh, of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Now, he is really saying, he's not saying hate your parents or hate anybody. He's not saying that. 
But unlike this, scripture is, if you're going to follow me, you're going to leave all. And you're choosing to follow Christ wherever he leads and not stay somewhere to please someone else. It's a very difficult thing in many ways, but uh, I just want to emphasize he's not saying hate anybody. Sometimes people take the literal uh, when it's a bigger thing or a symbolic statement and then they make symbolic the literal. So you've got to be careful about some of these things. But I think the truth behind these verses is that when you're going to follow Christ, you're going to follow him uh, wholeheartedly, sincerely, and for real. Commitment is, is, is uh, required to follow him. And what did the disciples do when they followed him? The world was changed. But then I, I'm coming to my main point here in verse number 39. Verse 39. This is in reference to the, the thought that I had about some people say, oh, you're making a big mistake to follow Christ and leave this back home in America. Well, here's what verse number 39 says. He that findeth this life shall lose it, and he that loseth this life for my sake shall find it. Well, that's a good statement to explain to someone the best place for them is being in the will of God. The fulfillment, the satisfaction, the peace, and all that goes along with knowing you're in the will of God and all the, 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 the feelings out of this, this is so fulfilling. That's found in the will of God in spite of what people say uh, you should do. This lady who went to Africa, yes, Africa as a teacher, she's a female, and she went as a, uh, as a teacher to help missionaries to teach little children, and she would teach lamograph pictures from CEF, and she would give the flip chart from CEF to teach kids, boys and girls, about Jesus. And uh, she gave up her lucrative job in the U.S. Um, I think, if I can remember this, she was the original turner of letters on Wheel of Fortune. Before Vanna White became the Vanna White of Wheel of Fortune, another woman was ahead of her, but she felt like she wanted to do that. So I was going to do that. She did that. And people, you can imagine people saying, What? What? No, you don't want to do that. And she said, Well, I believe God wants me to do this. And so you can see how, and she says, I'm so happy. I'm doing this. What people say, what God says, two different things. The fulfillment is in the will of God. Yeah. Come back to come back to Luke chapter five. Well, this is evidence of uh, Matthew being rich and wealthy because he has a large house. And in verse number twenty-seven. And after these things, he went forth and saw Mother King and Levi, sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great made him a great feast in his own house. And it was a great company. Great feast, great company, meaning a large, large event, a big event, a big luau without the poi, without the sashimi. And there was, everything was cooked. Well done. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. So uh, that's why I say he was very wealthy by, by the wrong means. He defrauded people. Now, um, he holds a great feast. People are there, and he's uh, got that by overcharging people. 
Now, can you imagine the disciples in view of the of the context of people despising tax collectors? Here is Jesus sitting with the tax collector and his tax collector friends, and he is there without scolding anybody. He is there and among people that the people don't like. If he was a politician, he wouldn't have gone. He would have said, no, this not this not look good. So I might not get any votes if I go to a place where it's not popular. He would have made an excuse as to why he would not go. But he went there, not to participate with the sinners, but to reach the sinners, to take them out of their sin. And so, uh, sure, what are you going to crowd to be? How does a man get attracted to an event? What do you do? You know, yesterday at Costco, or Friday at Costco, whatever day was at Costco, go to Costco too many times. There's a lot of people, it was Saturday. Don't ever go to Costco on Saturday. It is a man house. I mean, there's lines that go around like that. There's no yeah. parking place. It was up at Whitefield. Um, I, I had, uh, I broke my glasses, you know, and it was not repairable. I had, so I have to go get new pair of glasses. Well, uh, my old pair, I super glued the frame. Super glued the frame. Okay. I super glued the frame, but it was not, it was temporary. I have to put a screw in that thing. Can't do that. Uh, the people in Costco said, no, I can't fix that. Get a new pair of glasses. I said, okay, I got the prescription with me. And so I picked the cheapest frame I could find. And then uh, we were talking, and this person was so sick, talking to me about a second pair for reading at my computer. What a sneaky sales lady. She said, how's it look? I said, great, and how, how's your reading? She held the thing up, uh-huh, and I'm doing this. She said, well, you know, if you think about getting a second just for reading at your computer, it's much easier. The inconvenience is taking it off and on. I said, I don't want to do that. She said, well, try this. And I tried that one, and it was like, wow, I, I don't have to move my head, I just gotta do that. I don't have to, you know, keep adjusting. So and then so now I have um, my I went back to pick it up and um, so now I have my distance everyday glasses I have my computer glasses and I have my old pair of glasses well I take the pair of glasses that's for distance to drive home I come out in a dark cold night and I um, I have the three little cases and I put on the one that's for distance the new one it was so sharp so clear so good so I have two pairs in my top tray. I load my stuff, I drive home. As I'm driving home, I get a call from Costco Business Center. Hey, is this Mr. Ching? I said, yes. Um, we found your glasses in the cart. <laughs> and I said, oh, how did I do that? And it was eight o'clock, so I'm not gonna drive back, so I'm halfway home. And so I come back, pick it up again. And that's when I saw the big lines of people at Costco on Saturday. I said, oh, bro, I'm never gonna do this again. It's crazy. Now, how do you get to a man's heart? How do you imagine to come to the event? I saw people in Costco, they're buying tray, wagons full of um, uh, rotisserie chicken. One guy had six rotisserie chickens in his cart. He had chips, he had all this dip stuff. He, you know what it is? You tell a man to come to something, he won't want to go, but you say, hey, free food, he'll come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The way to a man's heart is free food. That's true. And so Levi has a big meal, hey, he all come, free food. And he tells all of his tax buddy friends, you come, free food. First he said, nah, I don't want to go, I can't, I guess I'm good, free food. Oh, okay, I'll make time to come. That's how men are, and it's a good thing. It's a God-given trait to go for free food. <laughs> so here they are. Now, why did they come? Why did he invite men to come? Well, Jesus was there as a guest, 
Now he invites all these other guys to come. What's going on here? Is this is there is something going on with this madness? Is this madness? Is this some kind of nefarious plot to trick people to buying something? Is it an sales pitch? What is it? No, it's not. You know what this is? Here's a man who I'll say he got saved, okay? I'll use that term just for understanding this. Here's a man who got saved. He's happy about it. He's a tax collector. You know what he does? The first chance he gets, he invites people to come to his house. Who does he invite to come? People that he knows. Fellow tax collectors. Fellow government employees. You know how people are reached? Like that. People that you know. And so he invites these people and other people to come to hear this man talk. You know how musicians are reached? A musician reaches musicians. You know, athletes are reached, athletes reach athletes. You know how, name them all. You know how they are reached? By people who are reached and then reach out to people that they know. That's how they're reached. You wanna reach somebody? Reach somebody that you know. Something you have common interest in. Anytime I play tennis, he's play rap a lot until they shut things down for 9-11 and everything else too, being cold really. But uh, he's play a lot on the military facilities and he's play the young guys, you know, the 22 year old, all, all everything people, the young 21 who knows everything and they can do everything and they, you know, all the kind of thing. And I'm an old guy coming in and learning how to rap ball up at Tripler uh, and Camps where I can find a place that's free, free food, free gym. And uh, go over there and play, and get used to get crushed by these young guys. And they used to get really okay. We'll get you next time. When you can be back again. And the competitive nature of a man comes out. Uh, I, I don't know what I don't know what you think, but uh, sometimes it comes out and want to beat the guy. So you just play. You, you, you learn by losing. You learn by doing things. By you know working out like that. And the work was really fun and good. And uh, you learn to uh, play right, and you learn to win a few matches. Although it's not so much fun to beat somebody, especially some of the younger. Isn't it fun, Keaton, to beat somebody younger? Isn't it fun for the Marines to beat the Navy, and maybe Marines to beat the Air Force? Well, who can't beat the Air Force? <laughs> I just made some enemies here, didn't I? So, <laughs> uh, was I saying? Oh yes. Um, uh, but I'd always have I'd also have tracks with me in my duffel bag because I was hopeful chance chance to talk to somebody here and there. Oh by the way, here here's my phone number. Instead of just give my phone number, but here's my phone right here. Call me over here, okay? Give a track of my phone number and search for and do that. So I'm trying to do that for reaching somebody that have interest in the same thing. So if it's tennis, whatever it is, try to do the same thing. And so I think what you have here is just a simple man. Uh, educated man, a, a man who is good at numbers, he's gonna uh, try his best, do what he can to reach his fellow quote employees or fellow kind to give them the gospel. That's what he's doing. Amen. Uh, how does a military guy reach the military? How does the military reach by the military people? So that's how it works out. Uh, I don't, I'm not a seamstress. How do you reach a seamstress? Well, if you are a Christian seamstress, then it's a, it's a logical bridge that you can have there, see? And so, think like that. Now, look at Galatians chapter 6. Along that line, look at Galatians chapter 6. A sure way to get a crowd to get free food offered to them. And here's this man who's a tax collector, invites fellow tax collectors to come to this house where Jesus is, 
so that he can introduce him uh, to them and he can say something to them. Galatians 6, verse number 10. This is a good verse that applies to Christians, but the principle is here that it's applying to uh, this man, Matthew. And so I'll use that in that sense. Matthew 6, Matthew 16, Galatians 6, 10. Uh, we have, as we have therefore opportunity, keyword is opportunity. Next keyword is as we have opportunity. So sometimes we don't have opportunities, sometimes we have an opportunity. Sometimes our opportunities are less than other people's opportunities. Sometimes people have a lot of opportunities. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now, primarily that verse is about Christian to Christian. It's about Christians helping other Christians. That's the main emphasis of verse number 10. So as Christians have the means to help other Christians, they should if they have opportunity. If they don't have the means to help someone, then there's other things they can do to help them, maybe prayer or uh, steering them in the direction of some sort. And so that's the main application of verse number 10. But this also applies to reaching to other people. The saved to the unsaved is toward um, uh, people doing what they can to reach other people. Now, Matthew, a rookie disciple, a rookie apostle, does what he can. He has a he has a meal. He invites his friends to come. Would they have come to hear Jesus say, hey, look, I got this rich one in here. Nah, I don't want to hear him. Hey, I got a meal, free barbecue. Beef barbecue. Beef ribs? <laughs> not pork ribs, not baby duck ribs. <laughs> baby duck ribs, if it's done really well, it's so tender, pork, don't, that is so good. Don't have to have sauce, it's so good. Baby duck ribs. They got, you know, whatever. And so they're going to come for that. He's doing what he can. He's taking advantage of an opportunity. Fishermen reach fishermen. Athletes reach athletes, musicians reach musicians, and so on. And the tax collector reaches tax collectors. Now, every time I take her to the store, she always, when she doesn't go to the self-checkout, if she goes to somebody cashier, she always needs with me. She says, she always does this. She says, and here's some good news for you. And here's some good news for you. If I am taking her to a drive-thru for her large iced tea, long time ago used to be Coke and Pepsi. Aren't you not glad that we have got off of that long time? Years ago, decades ago. No Coke Pepsi from 7-Eleven. That used to be our religion. <laughs> that was a synagogue. 7-Eleven. Forecast Monaco and Big Golf. We went from uh, Big Golf to Fort Brown's one. Oh, so good we thought. By the wayside. So now we go to get McDonald's iced tea. Because they have good iced tea. She has no sweet one. Every time we go for the drive-thru, uh, she'll hand me a tracks to hear. Well, I know what she's trying to do, see. She's taking an opportunity. And she has different opportunity. That's what she does. Well, I'm just simply telling you, that's what Matthew did. And she has different opportunity. Now, he was a willing vessel that was willing to be used by God, and God used him in whatever way that was good. Now, come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for just a minute. First Corinthians chapter 1. Now, whatever your life is like, your routine, your daily or weekly routine, whatever it is, you have maybe in your day opportunity. Take advantage of it. Uh, this is February. This is, you know, the love month. The love month. And so have those, uh, what is it called here? These, these tracks are called God loves you. Somebody loves you. 
have that track with you because it's very appropriate to pass them on like that. No one's going to be offended by that. Uh, well, let's go to First Corinthians chapter 1. Here's something I wanted to see about Matthew taking an opportunity. First Corinthians chapter 1. And come to verse 26. For you see it calling brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world. And things which are despised have God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, have you noticed that the disciples, the apostles, uh, fishermen, people with blisters and calluses on their hands, people working with the water every day, they're rough people, the carpenters, things like that, uh, regular people. Uh, you know why God uses them because when they get used to bring the gospel to people and they confound the wise people who have the wisdom of the word but they are not believers and they they see truth scriptural truth they see that they see the bible and uh they're taught that they explain that and people see the light you know who gets the glory not the fishermen but the one who sent the fishermen that no flesh may glory or should glory in his presence. And so the disciples, for the most part, they were not real, real educated people, but they were just regular people that God used, and he got the glory for using them. They're just vessels. They're just instruments. They're just tools in God's hand, and he uses them. God is like the master conductor of an orchestra. He knows how to... You ever see a conductor conducting? It's kind of amazing how everything is under such control and that everything is under the direction of the master on the little podium. I've been to three, uh, four concerts, two, three at the, at the Legislative Concert Hall where it was professional performing Christmas stuff. And uh, it was amazing. And then you see how everybody is so, when he does this, when she does this, nobody stops, everybody stops chewing gum. They stop whispering to each other, they stop smiling. Everything is focused on the conductor. And when it does what it does, everything has a meaning to it. I don't know what they mean. But I know one thing, when he does that, somebody does something. When he does that, somebody does something. And you know, the, 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 the person who gets paid the most and does the least is they got the big symbol. It happens just once in a while. <laughs> and you get the same thing, I reckon, I don't know that. You need to get less, but... Uh, uh, you got all these people performing according to the orchestra. And the Lord is the one who orchestrates lives and he uses people that seem to be unusable. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? You would think that God can only use the most sophisticated, the most well-dressed, the most the handsomest man around. It could be that that could be the biggest stumbling block for that man to be used by God because he thinks he's handsome. Well, this guy thinks he's really intelligent. He can just knock him over by his wisdom, his brain power. He's just going to think it, and you're going to believe it. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen like that. And so God uses people that are weak so that he gets the credit for it. He uses people that are based according to the world. Now, these are not people that are mean, nasty, critical, um, uh, 
aggressive people, just looking for trouble. Not that kind of thing. But they're just common people. Let's just call them common people. Fishermen, farmers, tax collectors, simple people. God can use for something great. And so that verse 29 says that no flesh should be glory in spirit. And so I think that's why Matthew was called, as well as the other uh, apostles. Uh, there's a man who debates on college campuses. I'll give you him just a minute if you ask me. But um, he's never been to college. But he debates with college students all the time. You know, watch his videos. They get in his face. They criticize him. They use straw man tactics. They just don't get to the point. They don't answer his question. They just call him dirty names. And they say, you are blank, blank, blank. And they just tear him apart with their words. And, but his, his argument is irrefutable. He's using logic, he's using reason, he's using common sense, he's using history, he's using science, all these kind of factors, when he's never had a college degree. And all these people going for college degrees, they argue with him, they lose their argument. As the third person watching him, you say, wow, he just told them off. Not in a bad way, but in a truthful way. He just, he just knocked, off their, knocked off their argument about you know, trans and everything else that's common today. But he's never had a college degree. So God uses the foolish things of the world, the base things of the world. Now, that is not to say you should not get education or get educated or get proficient in some things. It's just to say simply that uh, the most unlikely people that you think could not be used because they're sure, too short. Too short. Too short. Too tall. I heard a humorous CD long time ago. This guy went to diminishing school. <laughs> diminishing school because he was too tall. Whenever he walked, people looked up to him. And he intimidated people. And so he was concerned that he was giving a bad vibe. So he went to a diminishing school. Most people go to getting taller school. He went to a diminishing school to appeal to, to lower his stature so that he would not be so intimidated. He would walk on not on the curb, he walked below the curb on the street so that he would seem shorter. When he sat down, he would slouch so he would not seem so tall. Diminishing school. Kind of funny making a point there. Well, the Lord used everybody that was willing. Yes. And I, I do have this speculation that God uses volunteers to do something for him. For sure, God calls for a specific thing, but all Christians have to serve the Lord in some capacity. If you would just be willing to serve him, maybe not forsake all or leave all, but, but for sure, make time to serve him throughout our week. And so, uh, the most unlikely people God can use. Are you common? Are you common? Are you a commoner? Are you a non-blue blood? Are you an average person? Are you a below average person? Are you a nobody? There's good news for you. God can use you nobodies. Right? It's a matter of you just saying, I want to. Just follow me in this one thing. Follow me in one thing. It might lead to other things. But the thing is, follow him in that one thing. Now, in Luke 5, um, the hypocrites followed Jesus. Verse 27, I'll stop here. They followed Jesus. They followed him. First, they met him in Jerusalem. And then, because of his following, they followed him. They follow the following who are following Jesus out of town. And wherever he goes in small areas, they follow him. They track him down. They track him down. Luke 5, verse 27. 
Levi's call, 28, 29, great supper, great feast day, verse 30. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Jesus answered and said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners repentance. And so there's questioning, there's antagonism, there's trying to split the disciples of John with the disciples of uh, Jesus, and uh, they're trying to cause a, a split, a fracture, uh, trying to cause a division there, and they're trying to find reason to accuse him, they're trying to find reason to kill him actually. And so the envy that they have for him is so strong, they publicly begin to talk about killing him, they plan to kill him. This is a very vicious group of people in Jesus' time, these hypocrites that could not draw the crowds like he did. They could not do what he did. The miracles, the unusual teachings claiming to be from God. And uh, he was hated for that. And they would eventually publicly seek to plot to kill him. There is some connection to current events. I see that there. All right, so we'll stop here. And then uh, we'll, we'll take a short break and come back with uh, quarter till 10. Thank you.